Welcome once again to True Crime on Easy Street. We are coming to you from the Easy Street Restaurant Bar and Performance Hall. I'm Kelly Turner, and I'm not a doctor. And I'm Katie Givens, and I'm not a lawyer. And my name is Scott Wright, and I'm a mediocre journalist. And we welcome ourselves to you, into your ears, to your car radio. That's gross. Your iPhone. <laughs> <laughs> What are you doing? I don't know. We're, we've been on the air less than a minute, and we're already <laughs> off the rails. So we welcome ourselves to you. Everybody, this is going to be nuts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Scott, yes, I'm ma'am. doing my intro. Sorry. Okay. All right. So we're so happy to be here with you as you drive, or what are you doing? Are you running? Are you walking? Drink beer at the pool. Are you drinking by the pool? Or That's on who the I boat? imagine people to be who are listening. They're drinking by the pool on a Saturday afternoon. God, that's fun. Right? Ooh. Yeah. I'm yeah. jealous. If that's I'm you, too. text us and give us a five-star review. You're welcome. Please. Yeah. And just like in the comments, just put by the pool. Mm-hmm. I love it so much. And I'm going to, you know what? I'm going to go even further. If you do a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and you te- and you put by the pool, we're going to give you a shout out. Heck yeah. Next week, mm-hmm. we're going to read your name. And a free t-shirt when we get some printed. <laughs> when we eventually <laughs> get merch. <laughs> Whenever that is. But we are so, so happy to be here with you once again to discuss some true crime. So Scott. Yes. What are we talking about this week? Today, we are talking about the June 18th, 1954 assassination of Albert Patterson, who at the time was the Attorney General-elect of the state of Alabama. All right. If, you, if you're from Alabama and you remember your Alabama history from, was it 10th grade? We did I think Alabama you get history? Alabama history in the ninth. Ninth grade? Gra- no. Okay. So is it civics eighth and 10th? Gra- is it eighth grade? I don't know. I thought it was 10th. Oh, you know what? I hadn't even thought the, about put that. Put that in the comments, too. Yeah, let us know. Yeah, we, it's been sorry. so long, we've forgotten. My apologies. Katie should still remember. My apologies to all of For the For Kelly teachers. and I, it's been too long. Sorry. It's all ran together. Anyway, so what happened was, uh, and we'll get into the details of what happened, but this was a very big occurrence in the state of Alabama. Uh, 67 years ago, I guess now it was, 54. So before we get started, here are some other things that were going on in the summer of 1954. And I went back to the library last week and I pulled some old, you can still go to the Cherokee County Public Library here in town, a great source of information from all the way back to the 30s. Wait a minute, Scott, you walked into the library. With my feet. And got actual They're bound copies books. of old yeah they're they're as big as the table we're sitting at almost or half as big and and you get bound copies in its entire year's worth of the Cherokee County Post Herald and you go through them one page at a time and it's it's they had a copy sent to the library and they bound them and they sent them off they don't really do that much anymore but for from the 30s until the early 2000s it's a big red it's a gorgeous book and some of the pages are in better shape than others depending on how old they are That's wonderful because in this you know, world of technology, no one does that anymore. Right. If you go to the Cherokee County Library, you will see the librarian and Scott Rock. That is correct. <laughs> I am there doing my research. Hey, shout out to the Cherokee County Library. Certainly. What yeah. a wonderful place. And that's and not the, a joke to the Cherokee County no, Library. No, that's no, no. just a joke to and libraries the, everywhere. It is. The it great really ladies is. who work there, they do a good job. As soon as they see me coming in, they grab their keys and go, you want to go to the back room where the old newspapers are? Aww, I'm like, yes, they're please. They're fantastic. Oh, awesome. They know what I need. They know my wheelhouse. All right, I'm going to shut up. No, no, fine. Anytime. So in 1954, here's one thing that happened. The, the United States Congress granted final approval to Alabama Power Company to construct a series of dams on the Coosa River, one of which was expected to be near Leesburg. And we all know today that that came to pass because Weiss Lake is right outside. And that's, that was the first time that was officially confirmed that that was going to happen was the summer of 1954. It was four more years before they began construction. but 54 was when people around here chose a side. We're either for the lake or against the lake, and there was a lot of that. But that's when it happened. I have been to the dam on a field trip with my son. I was there. I've been there a few times. It was the first time was a, was a field trip in, in grade like school, it. and I've been there since. But yeah, it's, it, if you've I also been, have some family history with, with this. Go on. Um, some of my family was, they were not on the side of the lake because 
They ended up losing quite a bit of land. A lot of valuable uh, farming farmland, farming land. Went so, underwater yeah, when yeah. Weiss Lake was backed up in the, it did. In the early As much 60s. as I enjoy the lake today, yeah, my family did not want well, it to happen. Count your blessings. At least you're not working on a farm right now. That's true. It's very hot. Yeah. Maybe Alabama Power did you a favor. Another thing that happened in the uh, in in the summer of nineteen fifty four, a little bit more obscure, but it has implications for for U.S. history that maybe a lot of folks don't remember. The Battle of Dien Bien Phu took place in the summer of or in the spring of nineteen fifty four, and the French lost to the Indo Chinese uh, communists in Southeast Asia. And when that happened, it created this panic that communism was going to spread throughout Southeast Asia. It ended up with the United States Army sending troops to that part of the world, and we all know that as the 20-year-long conflagration that is the Vietnam War. So that is the battle that set off the, the Vietnam War in 1954. Another thing in 54, Brown versus Board of Education was a big deal in the summer of 54, and that was where the Supreme Court ruled unanimously that separate but equal in education was no longer constitutional, and that changed a lot of things that we weren't around to see the 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 tumult that that uh, that that court case resulted in. We were uh, fortunate enough to come along after that, but in the fifties and sixties and seventies, all over Alabama and the southeast and the and really the whole country, uh, Brown versus Board was a huge deal. Separate but equal was no longer constitutional. Yes, it was a very big deal. And quickly, two things right here in Cherokee County. Down at the Jitney Jungle on West Main Street, a T-bone steak was fifty nine cents a pound. What is the Jitney Jungle? It's not there anymore, but it's the it's the little uh, you know where the laundromat was right across from or next door to the post office. That little three story or that little yes, yeah, yes, I know where that is, and so do our listeners in Germany. They know exactly where that is. Okay, sorry, maybe that was a little too much detail. Anyway, that <laughs> used to be the Jitney Jungle, which was one of the first grocery stores in the county. And okay, T Bone Steaks were fifty nine cents a pound. And Man, that would be awesome today, wouldn't it? <laughs> and lastly, uh, the Center City Pool, which. The Center City Council announced just a few weeks ago will be closed down permanently in favor of a new pool, an aquatic center that will be built over beside the National Guard Armory. It opened for the very first time. There were pictures on the front page of the new pool that wasn't even full of water yet. But it was a big deal in center at the time. I learned to swim in that pool so in the 70s I. when I was a child. Yeah, I took swimming lessons and there. And this is the year that's not, this is the first year it hasn't been open. Since it was built in fifty, yeah, they had this huge high dive yes. that you had to work up the nerve to climb all the way. They had the regular size diving board, and you can climb up to there, uh-huh. or you can keep going yeah. and go off the high dive. Yeah, did you, was... Scott? Did you oh, go off yeah, the high dive? Of course. Yeah, I don't know times. if I ever dove off the high dive. No, I never I dove, but it, I, I did many times. Yeah, but you got to do a toothpick. I accidentally did a belly flop once. Oh, that's right. Still remember that afternoon? Yep, I bet you do. I think I'm still red from that. Ooh, and it tingles. Okay, so let's get to the story. Yikes. Yeah, sorry. I could have, we could have all done without that, right? <laughs> let's get to the story. This is the story of the uh, political assassination of John. I'm sorry, of Albert Patterson. We'll get to John Patterson later. Of Albert Patterson in the summer of 1954. And this is this is an apple that was really, it's too big to chomp down on all at once. And so we're going to take a few bites around this thing and we'll eventually get down to the rotten, rotten core of everything that is the story of this uh, horrible thing that happened in Phoenix City, Alabama. Uh, some of the sources that I use, uh, a book called when Good, Mid- when Good Men Do Nothing by Alan Grady. Uh, there's a novelization of the story called Wicked City that I read after I read When Good Men Do Nothing. And I realized that it was, it's a really good story that sticks directly to the facts. The author creates a couple of additional characters that he uses to uh, move the story along. One of them is kind of him dropped into history, and uh, he's a gas station attendant. It doesn't matter what the specifics are, but it's a really good source of accurate information about what happened if you want to read a novelization of the story instead of just straight facts. But I read them both just to be sure. And then there's plenty of documentaries on YouTube that you can see for free. Um, And just a a brief history of what was going on in Phoenix City, or what Phoenix City really is even. Uh, It it was called Sin City as far back as the Civil War. Geographically, it is located in the very far eastern section of the state of Alabama, about in the center of the state, a little bit below, directly across the Chattahoochee River, which defines the border between Alabama and Georgia in that part of the state. And if you've ever, if you're an Alan Jackson fan, you've heard him sing about way down yonder on the Chattahoochee, and that's what he's referring to. Um, It was a lively place. Anytime after the Civil War, there was crazy stuff going on 
in what became Phoenix City. It had several uh, names earlier before it became Phoenix City. And there's a bunch of reasons for that that I'm not going to get into. If you want to look it up, uh, I suggest Google. Um, Prohibitionists were late to the party in Alabama like they were in a lot of other places. But by the early 1900s, they had gotten into Alabama. They took over the state legislature eventually in 1914. And in 1916, they had... uh, grabbed a hold of enough clout in Montgomery that they could go to Phoenix City and clean the place up. So they did. There was a big cleanup in Phoenix City in 1916. Unfortunately, two years later, the United States Army built Fort um, Benning across the river in Columbus, Georgia, and everything started to come undone again. Well, for those who don't know, what is Fort Benning and why is that important to this story? So Fort Benning, named after a Confederate general like a bunch of U.S. Army bases are, despite the paradox that that is, if you think about it. Uh, it was built after World War I because a lot of soldiers came home from World War I and, and the generals in the military didn't really feel like they had been trained sufficiently to take care of themselves or to shoot accurately or just to do the things that they needed to do to not get killed in a foreign war. So they built Fort Benning. Uh, today, there are over 100,000 troops there and it's military, it's their families, civilian support staff. Uh, if you learn to shoot a gun drive a tank, or jump out of an airplane with a parachute, you probably, if you've ever been in the Army, you learned at Fort Benning. That's what, that's the home of the U.S. Infantry, the Army's U.S. Infantry. Um, so what you have when this happens in, the, in, 18, in 1918 into the 20s, you have hundreds of thousands of U.S. soldiers coming through every year with a ton of money to spend and nowhere to spend it because nothing's happening in, in Columbus, Georgia. And Phoenix City is a very poor city with basically no tax base. And this is in Russell County, by the way, if you're an Alabama native and you want to know what county it is. That, that's important depending on which uh, of those books that I re- uh, mentioned that you read. Um, so here we are in the Roaring Twenties. The whole country is basically drunk for a decade, right? Even despite prohibition. Eventually, Phoenix City becomes the county seat of Russell County. That's why I mentioned that. I remember now. And what that did was that meant that all of the corruptible, potentially corruptible county officials that someone in Phoenix City who has a gambling establishment might want to bribe to make sure it doesn't close down is right there down the street. So it gets really easy for the, the government, the local government in Phoenix City to become corruptible. And sure enough, it does. And that's according to uh, Grady, who wrote When Good Men do nothing. So now the county officials are here. The gambling establishments are there. There's gambling, there's lottery games, there's, uh, there's prostitution, there's illegal alcohol. And the group that is running all of this is called the machine. All right. Commonly in a lot of the books that I read, they just refer to them as the machine. Uh, and then uh, it's basically what they've done is they have reverted to the way that the town was before 1916. So we're right back where we started. The cleanup in 16 has been a complete failure over time. 20 years later, we're right back where we started. So is, is there anybody in this town that wants to clean it up? Or, or is everybody just, you know, the machine? It's, no, it's not just the machine. And it's, it's weird because the way that they're described in the book is, uh, that the book that I read the most, these, the people who run these uh, illegal establishments they're, they're right there in town. They're little league coaches. They sit at the same pew with you at church on Sunday. Uh, they donate to local charities. They, they're members of the American Legion. So they're right there in town. It, it, it's kind of like you're a gambling uh, boss and I'm the local convenience store owner. And we go to church on Sunday. Our kids play baseball together. I just don't go hang out with you on Saturday because you, you're, you're moving prostitutes upstairs out the back door and selling alcohol and You've got a bunch of slot machines along the back wall that are hidden by a, a fake wall. And, and are you just afraid to say something to me? Yeah. Or are you just purpose, you're purposely turning your head out of fear? No, you're, you're turning your head out of fear because okay. what kept the corruption in place was the fact that all of the local officials are right there. There's a ton of money coming through Phoenix City. All those soldiers coming over with their, with their salaries, their paychecks every week with nothing else to do. So they lose it all in the gambling halls. A lot of them are crooked. So they're going to lose at the roulette wheel. There's, some, there's a button under the table and they can hit it and it's going to hit 22 every time when you bet on 24. A lot of them are crooked. Some of them are not. But a lot of these guys are new in town. They don't know the difference. So they go over and they lose all their money. And the, the reason that that perpetuates is because it's, it's easiest for the people who run the gambling halls to give up 10% of their profits and give it to the 
county solicitor, the district attorney, we would call him, or the, or the sheriff to make sure that nothing happens to stop that flow of money coming. And eventually, the implications are that some of that money ends up uh, on the state level. And in some cases, maybe even all the way up to the governor's office. Allegedly. That's one of our favorite words here on this podcast. Allegedly. Allegedly. We don't want to get sued in season nope. one. Nope. Season three, I don't care anymore. But season one, <laughs> let's don't do it. Short, short version is there are plenty of good people in the town, but they were really powerless to do anything because the law is involved. So there, but there's still some opposition that starts to grow to all of this lawlessness uh, by the mid-1940s. But the anti-vice groups get off to a slow start. By the 50s, though, the deputy sheriff uh, who's in charge of looking the other way, his name was Albert Fuller. The county solicitor, what we would call the district attorney, like I said, was a man named Arch Farrell. And they were two of the biggest impediments to getting anything done about the gambling and the prostitution and the alcohol because they were in cahoots with the machine. Um, but the Russell County Betterment Association is created, created in the late 40s, early 50s by a guy named Hugh Bentley, who was a, uh, he was a sporting goods store owner, I believe. But it isn't long before his house mysteriously is blown up by 36 sticks of dynamite. Miraculously, his wife and son, who were in the home at the time, are relatively uninjured. How uh, is that possible? I'm not sure because I saw a picture of what that house looked like when it was over, and it, there was nothing left. Oh they must goodness. have been standing by a window. You've all seen those uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger movies where miraculously he's by the window when the explosion goes off and it dumps him into a mattress factory next door. Maybe it was something like that because it looked pretty violent, but no major injuries. Wow. Yeah. So one of the people who gets his ire up when this happens, and the, the explosion of Bentley's house got a lot of people pissed off. Mm-hmm. And one of them was a local attorney named Albert Pattison. He's in his late 50s at the time, and he had been tired of the illegal activity for a while. Earlier in his career, he had defended some of the uh, gambling folks because if you wanted to be an attorney, a successful attorney in Phoenix City, you had to hold your nose sometimes and do your job. But at this point, he's had enough of it. He's 60 years old, and he's like, Fuck it, I'm tired of these guys. I'm doing this my way. All right? So he decides, because of all of the corruption at the local level, and the rumor is that the corruption runs all the way up to Montgomery, right up to Goat Hill, I'm just going to run for Attorney General of the state of Alabama, and I'll handle this myself. The Attorney General in the state of Alabama can go in any crevice and crack as long as the law is on his side and take care of anything that's illegal and get rid of it. Well, he probably had no chance of winning a local election, so at least with the statewide election, he had more of a chance. That's a good point. I didn't even think about that, but that's what that was the platform that he ran on. Everybody knew how crooked Phoenix City was at the time, and a lot of people, especially in, you know, right here in the Bible Belt, didn't like it, so he took his, uh, he took his platform, his campaign slogan statewide, mm-hmm. and that was it. He's, I'm going to clean up Phoenix City. Uh, so, this group of people that we've kind of laid out a little bit to make sure that he didn't get elected, they decide that, first of all, they're going to try to, by the election, commit election fraud and make sure that he does not win. He's in, a, he's in the Democratic primary. And back then, if you won the Democratic nomination, there probably wasn't even a Republican on the ticket. Yeah, the, back then, Alabama was a Democratic state. The worm has turned here in the state of Alabama. Now a Democrat can't get elected. Back then a Republican couldn't get elected. And that's Mm -hmm. just, you know, times change. But if you won the Democratic primary or the Democratic runoff, if there was one, you were pretty much the the new guy. And so what the people who wanted to make sure that Phoenix City didn't get cleaned up wanted to do is make sure that Patterson was not the nominee. And so they said about in between that there was the primary in May and then there was a runoff in June because Patterson didn't get over 50% of the vote. Yeah, he got a plurality, not a majority. not a majority. So there was a runoff. Patterson, there's a bunch of craziness that goes on, politically speaking, in the three weeks after the primary before the runoff. But Patterson ends up squeaking out the election And that's when the folks who don't want Phoenix City to be shut down realize we're going to have to do something drastic. So they go, they drive all over the state to try and convince election officials to change the voting tallies. And one of them, one of the places they go very specifically is to Birmingham in Jefferson County. And witnesses later confirm that Farrell and Attorney General Silas Garrett Mm -hmm. went to Birmingham and asked them successfully to add 600 votes to Patterson's opponent's final tally. 
Yeah, now Farrell was the circuit solicitor who is what we call now the district attorney. Correct. And uh, Cy Garrett, if I didn't mention it, was the attorney general for the state of Alabama at the time. So you've got the standing, the current AG, the county DA conspiring to try and keep Albert Patterson from becoming the next attorney general because they know the first thing he's going to do is take a mop bucket to downtown Phoenix City. And that's, that's a week before he's killed. And Albert Patterson knows that this has gone on. He's got people all over the state, too. And there's some speculation that maybe they were all vote-fixing. Who knows who really won it? But Albert Patterson knew about what happened in Jefferson County. And there was a grand jury already that had been, uh, Katie, what's the word I'm looking for? A grand jury has been convened. Yes. Right? So you've convened a grand jury. They're already investigating it. Albert Patterson has told everybody all week long, come Monday morning, June the 20th, I'm going to go to Birmingham and I'm going to hang your asses out to dry. And it's Friday night at nine o'clock. For election fraud. For election fraud. And it's Friday night at nine o'clock that Albert Patterson, effectively the next attorney general of the state of Alabama, is killed. So you're saying June 18th, 1954, Albert Patterson is killed. That is correct. So, well, what happened that night? Well, in, in Grady's book, When Good Men Do Nothing, uh, he does a really great job of laying out the precise timeline. He gets the uh, police transcripts and the eyewitness transcripts, and he, he lays the whole thing out almost in too much detail. I mean, if we weren't, if I wasn't studying for a podcast, I probably would have just skipped ahead, but I needed to know these things. And I'm not going to lay it all out for you, but um, Basically, Albert Patterson is working late in his office on the second floor of a building in downtown Phoenix City that night. He finishes up about 9 o'clock. He heads down the stairs to the alleyway behind his office building. His car is parked in the alley, but very close to the main street, like the first parking spot in the alley. That's where he's parked at an angle. Uh, He's getting into his car. Someone walks up to him, fires four shots at him, and then runs away down this darkened alley. Patterson stumbles out of the alley. He doesn't have far to stumble because the car is right there, like I said, onto the main highway. I think it's 14th Avenue in Phoenix City and collapses dead on the sidewalk. Uh, you, can, you can almost just imagine this. That's almost that's yeah. out of a movie. Yeah, I mean, it, this well, is, actually, this is stuff of movies. It's funny you mention that. Uh, there is a movie called, uh, I forget the title of the movie, but it's 1955. I tried to buy it, but it's 55 bucks on Amazon to watch this movie. And it's one of those noir films, like I said, 55. They actually shot it in Phoenix City right where it happened. They showed some clips from it in some of the documentaries that I watched. But they shot a movie, tried to tell the story. One of the descriptions that I read, it's very fictionalized. You know, they, they had to play it up to make everybody seem even more violent and crazy than they were. But there is a movie about it. If you want to go find it, uh, it's out there. Um, so anyway, Grady writes that there, there are dozens of people around. I mean, it's not like this is a deserted city street, technically. There, there are cafes up and down 14th Avenue. There are people walking up and down the street. And all of a sudden, everybody knows who Albert Patterson is. Because he walks with a limp. He was injured in World War I. So everybody recognizes him from 50 feet away, even in shadow form, because they know he's the lawyer that works right upstairs, and he walks with a limp. It's, it's Albert Patterson, and he's limping, but it's a strange limp, one of the witnesses says. It, he looks like he's drunk, and then he realizes, oh, it's Mr. Patterson, and then he falls over, and he rushes over to him, and he's bleeding. His, his jaw's blown off. Well, the, one of the first shots was right down the mouth, and another one into the arm, and it shot into his, uh, uh, into his torso, and that was the one that killed him because it punctured a lung, and he bled to death. Short story. But the thing about all those witnesses was it didn't matter. They weren't, that nobody was, everybody was scared to talk about gambling. Everybody was afraid to, to tell the cops because, first of all, the cops are on the take. And second of all, it's not going to do any good. There's as good a chance as any that if you go and tell the cops, hey, I just saw a, a, a slot machine in the Bama Club over on 14th, they're going to lock you up for the night, accuse you of being drunk and disorderly, and turn you out the next day and let that be your warning not to come back in here and tell us that again. Right, and and then you see that this man has been shot to death, the man who's trying to mm-hmm. stop it, and what there's no good for you to tell anyone because the current attorney general is trying to well, stop him. Yeah, I mean, there's what for the just entire happened state. to the guy who, yeah. the, the most persistent man who was going to try to stop all this. They just shot him dead in the street. So it, you, I'm going to keep you're my already, mouth shut. Right, you're already afraid. Now you're yeah. very afraid. So suffice it to say... The investigation into Albert Patterson's murder got off to a very slow start. Well, what started it 
going a little faster. Like, well, how do everybody's afraid? I would be afraid. I, I, I can honestly say I probably would not help this investigation. Be at all. Deci- it'd be a hard decision to make. I mean, we've yes. got the dynamite, we've got the dead body in the street. And- I mean, especially if you have a family, you have mm-hmm. any loved ones or friends or anything, you know, you're not going to want to. And, and then your own life is at stake. Well, the one thing that I think nobody counted on is the fact that Albert Patterson's loved one, his son, his 33-year-old son, uh, John, who is a World War II veteran, spent some time uh, in the European theater. He was on General Patton's staff at one point during World War II. Uh, he was also a, an attorney in Phoenix City at the time. So enter the young badass. Yes. Exactly. So when his father is killed, first thing that happens is, I mean, he wants to get to the bottom of this, but he also becomes the favorite to replace him on the Democratic ticket for attorney general. And all that he needs to say is, yes, I will take that position. He doesn't want to. This is not the life that John Patterson has ever wanted to lead. He didn't want to be anywhere. He wanted to be a trial attorney. But in one of the documentaries, it's an interview with John Patterson himself in his later years. This is in the 2000s. So he's, you know, he's in his 70s or 80s, still living in Alabama. Oh, and he just passed away last week, by the way, at the age of 99. Oh, wow. In his hometown. And I forget the name of his hometown, but he just passed away. I shared that on our uh, Cherokee County Post-Herald Facebook page last week. That's what I'm the managing editor of in case anybody besides uh, the two of you didn't know that. Um, anyway, so he just passed away last so week. So not so <laughs> mediocre of a journalist. Plug, plug. Well, I just stumbled across it. Um, but he, uh, where was I? What was I talking about? You're talking about he John d- he Patterson. He passed away last week. Passed away last week. He has moved to pick up the, the mantle that his father had carried. He didn't really want to get involved in the whole anti-gambling thing. He didn't. He wanted to be a trial attorney. But he had to kind of go along with his dad even before his dad was killed because the only way he was ever going to be able to be a successful trial attorney was if he got the mob out of the way because he had no, he didn't want to hold his nose and defend mobsters. He mm-hmm. wanted to defend normal, upstanding mm-hmm. citizens. Um, the town is Goldville, Alabama. There you go. Thank you very much. Uh, and it was last week, right? Yes, June That's the good. 4th. Yep. Eventually, he gets talked into becoming the Democratic nominee for Attorney General. He didn't want to do it, but they talked him into it. And every, as soon as he said, yes, I'll do it, there's no doubt that he's going to be the next Attorney General of the state of Alabama. Everybody in the state's going to vote for the guy whose father just got killed trying to clean up Phoenix City. Exactly. I mean, and I'm not trying to be crude or insensitive, but that projected the fact that his father was murdered in the street mm-hmm. just projected. I mean, he's going to get way more votes now. Oh, absolutely. And, he, and he's, he's probably not even running against anyone anyway, because now he's the Democratic nominee in his Alabama in 1954. Maybe there was a Republican nominee, but it was a token nominee like Democratic nominees are today in Alabama. Uh, and so, but first, before all that happens, the investigation begins immediately. But now Patterson is a member, the younger Patterson, we'll, call, we'll just say John Patterson. I'll just say John Patterson to be clear. He's a member of the RBA, the Russell Betterment Association, which Hugh Bentley formed and got his house blown up. Um, but he's immediately suspicious of Deputy Albert Fuller and Solicitor Arch Farrell. He thinks they're the top two suspects in this case. And he said so publicly many times. In response to this, and since Albert Patterson was about to become the next Attorney General, Alabama Governor Gordon Persons sends a team of state investigators in to help. And because Governor Persons is afraid, at least slightly, that there might be a riot in the streets in Phoenix City because the one guy who was going to clean up this shithole is now dead. There is some discussion about sending in the National Guard. So he gets, he reaches out to the head of the Alabama National Guard, uh, General Crack Hanna, and I didn't, I forgot to write down his real name, but he was called Crack because he was a crack shot. Fire plug. Another, another badass. Yes. A guy who just, uh, in John Patterson's own words in the documentary I watched, projected authority and confidence. So persons picked the right guy. Mm -hmm. It seems like the folks in Montgomery realized, well, hell, boys. We, it was good while it lasted, but the run in Phoenix City is about to end. And, and there's still people in Phoenix City trying to hang on to this. And they're losing their grasp. But you know, the, the little Tweety Bird thing where he's running out of pities. They're down to one pity. <laughs> all right. 
We'll explain that to Katie. You see, Katie yeah. Tweety Bird was a cartoon. It's a little yellow bird that always outsmarted Sylvester the Cat. We'll get to that later. Many years ago. Um, so he sends Crack Hannah down, and Crack Hannah comes back a couple days later and says, look, if you want this mess cleaned up, you're going to have to send in the National Guard. Otherwise, it's just going to keep going. And Gover- governor Persons doesn't want to be the first governor in the history of the United States of America to declare martial law, and so he declines. He says, eh, let's hold off on that and try not to do it. And even Patterson in the documentary himself having later become governor, spoiler, he r- understands the hesitance that person, uh, that person shows. He, he said later, uh, uh, John Patterson did, I understand why he didn't want to do that because that's a historical event in the history of the country if you're the first governor to ever declare martial law. So he, he declines to do that at the time, but John Patterson doesn't care. He wants something done. He doesn't trust the local officials. He hops on a plane, flies to Washington, D.C., and tries to get an audience with J. Edgar Hoover, the head of the FBI. Hoover declines to see him, but some of Hoover's people say, look, we understand that you want to get to the bottom of this, but it's not a federal matter at this point. It's a state matter. Mm -hmm. We can't help you right now. They end up getting some help from the FBI down the road when it's a logical right thing to do, but not yet at this point. So John Patterson goes back to Alabama, but the newspapers pick up on this. When he gets back, he lands at the airport and all the newspaper guys are there and they interview him and he says, I try to go get some help from the feds because I don't trust these idiots in Phoenix City. That puts the pressure on the governor, Governor Persons, and he eventually in July sends Crack Hanna down and a a swarm of National Guard troops and they get out that mop bucket we were talking about. I mean, there are pictures of slot machines and roulette wheels and... uh, everything you can imagine that is related to vice and sin piled up being destroyed in the streets. Mm -hmm. Uh, John Patterson himself said in that documentary, general Hannah quote, had that place cleaned out lock, stock and barrel in just a few days. I mean, the constitution is suspended and nobody, nobody's arguing with him. No, everybody in the town. That's what somebody else in one of the documentaries said. It liberated the entire community. It gave everybody the impetus to go, okay, we, they finally mean it. They're really going to clean this clean it up this time. So there's no more silence when the police come around. They start to get all these tips about all of well, the different places. To of- clarify though, martial law was declared. Absolutely. It was absolutely. And, and if, for those who don't know what martial law is, that means that military authority comes in and civilian law is suspended completely. For, yeah. The first thing they did was everybody who was wearing a badge in Phoenix city uh, got their pink slip. They're gone. Yes. The, the fair solicitor, Farrell, the sheriff, uh, deputy sheriff Fuller, they're all out of a job. They're gone. You yep. are no longer in charge of this place. And that was all of the clarification that a lot of people in town needed to go, okay, we can help now. They'll listen to us. Because Somebody na- will listen. The National Guard now, was now, now they in felt control. safe. Yeah. They yeah. felt safe to come clean with what they know, yeah. what they've seen. And eventually yeah. that resulted in uh, 734 indictments and over 80 convictions. Wow. Or, and <laughs> that's just for the gambling part. Nothing to do with the murder plot. Yes. That's just the oh gambling. But it's the beginning of the end of gambling in Phoenix City. There's, I should say so. Right? Yep. There's still an assassination to solve, but the mobsters had all faded away. It, look, it turns out the mobsters had nothing to do with Albert Patterson's death. They were too smart for that because they knew that this would happen. If they are implicated in the death, it, it doesn't matter if it happened. They, they would never let it happen. If they'd known it was going to happen, they would have stopped it because anything is better than the National Guard coming into your town and the Constitution being suspended and all of your stuff being piled up in the street and burned after it's been covered in gasoline. Yeah, that's, that's not good for business. That is terrible for business. Yep. Um, so Patterson takes office as the new Attorney General in January of 1955. He continues to clean up a Phoenix City all the while He's overseeing the investigation of his father's murder. And at some point around this time, it's discovered that Solicitor Farrell, who we've mentioned, was on a phone call with Silas Garrett, the Alabama Attorney General, at just the exact moment in time that Patterson was killed on June the 18th, 1954. And in fact, the investigators hadn't found out that information yet when they got a tip from somebody who knew somebody who knew somebody, hey, don't worry about looking at these guys. They had nothing to do with it. There is the record of the phone call that they were on at the exact moment. So this on happened. Friday night, nine at, o'clock at like nine o'clock, yep. they're on the phone mm-hmm. talking business. Now, how often did this happen between the two of them? I don't know how if we got into. How often did the two of them just get on the phone on the weekend? I don't know, but it in was, the middle of the night and talk business. It was weird enough that every yeah. alarm bell that was plugged into an outlet went off exactly at once, and so immediately, oh, uh, maybe Patterson was right all along. Maybe these idiots did have something to do with it. Uh, and, it, and it turns out that they were the ones, like I mentioned earlier, they were, they were conspiring to commit the election fraud that took place in Jefferson County. It was 600 votes that they added to 
Patterson's opponent in the Democratic runoff. Uh, that was quickly figured out because they there was a local official there who was in charge of those numbers. And when they put the spotlight on him, he he gave them up. He said, I'm going to see. Yeah. 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 It, he was, yeah. I got some big names Two for bird you. Two references in the same show. We got Tweety Bird and now a songbird. Yep. I got, I got some big names for you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Tweety Bird and a stool pigeon. Or a rat. <laughs> um, and I already mentioned the part about Patterson making it well known that he was going to go to uh, Birmingham on Monday and testify before that grand jury. And it turns out that that was the reason that he was killed, at least the best, situ- the best scenario that anybody has been able to put together. But it's those three, Farrell, Garrett, and Fuller, who are all indicted for first-degree murder. Who's the trigger, trigger person? I don't know that we ever got to the bottom of exactly who the trigger person was. It was, well, well Katie will tell you what happened in court. Do you think that they intended to murder him that night? It, it sounds like a poor-conceived murder plot in on the sidewalk in front of dozens of potential witnesses driving down the street eating dinner in the cafes that line you know downtown phoenix city see i thought the same thing because uh the they were indicted for first degree murder and i just premeditated and that's what i think i don't think that the that the two men and we it it turned out i guess i'm gonna have to give away we we already said that the three of them garrett farrell and fuller were indicted for this murder it was farrell and fuller who ended up being we can place garrett in montgomery on the other end of that phone call, or investigators could. But if you're a conspirator in a murder plot, you can be convicted of first-degree murder as well. So that's why he was included in the indictment. I don't think that they went down there that night on that sidewalk. They all knew each other. These guys had lived together for 20 years. I don't think they went down there to murder him. I think that they went down there to try and see if they could buy him off or get him to change his mind about going to Birmingham on Monday morning. Hey, look, man, you won. We'll back off. Leave us out of this. But, I don't know. It'll, it'll just be speculation. Go to his office if you're not wanting to kill him. Well, they were. He, he was at the ch- he was at the car right in front of the door. Yeah, but why not knock on the door and go see him during office hours? Why wait until he's out in his car in the middle of the night? Well, here's here's one reason why Farrell's office in the courthouse had a view of Patterson's office window, and there is speculation that when they saw him turn his light off, they were in their office as well. Mm-hmm. conspiring to figure out some Watching. way. Hey, there he is. He just Watching. turned his light there off. He is. Let's run across the street 200 yards away and talk to him and see if we can talk him out of this. I don't, I don't think. I don't know. I don't agree with that. I don't know. I think, I think if you want to talk to him, you call him on the phone or you walk over there. Maybe so. But anyway, um, they end up, you know, some witnesses after people felt comfortable talking about what they had seen. Yes. Some witnesses put both of them there. Some witnesses put one or the other there. Right. And and he's just said, I'm going to get you all for voter fraud. I'm going to. Absolutely. It's happening. Monday morning, nine o'clock. Monday morning. Yeah. Pack your bags. So you're going to jail. I'm going. Are you going to lose your job? Are you going to embarrass your family or serve So if I'm meeting you in the darkened alley on Friday night, I don't think I want to talk. And maybe that's what Albert Patterson said, hey, I'm not talking to you guys. Yeah. And, and there's, there's one And I don't version. think they want to talk to him either. I mean, I just don't. I think that okay. they, yeah. I mean, I really think it was, a, they said, okay, we got to take care like of this. One, yeah. Yeah. We got to take care of it. One of them looked at the other, hey. Said, hey, you know. And it's the sheriff and the DA who's going to, who's right? coming after him. Yeah. Exactly. They control the law in Phoenix I mean, City. And I may be we wrong. Totally get away totally with Totally may be wrong, but I just don't. Yeah. I say if you if you want to have a conversation with this man, you're not going to do it in a darkened alley at nine o'clock on Friday night. Well, ultimately, this entire case is going to come down to who the jury believes, and that's when I said I wasn't going to say that. Oh, take it out! <laughs> I said I wasn't going to say, it, and that's well, Katie's turn. Th- okay. So yeah, the three men. Let's go back over who they are. First one is. Uh, the sheriff, Albert Fuller. Second one is the circuit solicitor or the district attorney, as we call it, Arch Farrell. The third one is that attorney general, Cy Garrett. So Cy can be placed in Montgomery at the time of the shooting. He also takes off to Texas, checks into a mental facility, spends the better part of a few years, mm-hmm. I do believe. Yeah, he had a history of uh, mental illness, but th- it was I was also going to say good move. Yeah, no. well, it, and it was. That's one way and to he, stay out of jail. He did have a history of it, but okay, he, so he had been treated maybe. before. Okay. While he was attorney general, he like took months off of his job mm-hmm. to go be treated for mental illness and had been back on the job for a few months when all of these events took place. Mm-hmm. Yes, so the charges against him were dropped. Farrell and Fuller were both indicted 
for first-degree murder by grand jury of Russell County, Alabama, which is where the story takes place. This happens in December of 1954. In January of 1955, uh, they file to have the trial moved out of Russell County. Yeah, to, to Birmingham, mm-hmm. right? Change of venue, yes. To, yeah, the Tenth Circuit, which is, which is Jefferson County, which is where Birmingham is. And on the same day that they're arraigned in Russell County, that it's agreed to move the trials to okay. Jefferson County. Okay. It doesn't seem like they would get a fair trial in their county. Well, when I got to the trial part, I stopped reading because my brain was full of useless information and it was Katie's <laughs> turn to fill her brain with useless information. So basically the same trials commence and they both plead not guilty. Of course, this is in January of 1955 into January, 1955. They both plead not guilty. Trials commence in February. Beryl, spoiler alert, is acquitted. He's found not guilty. But his trial was second. His trial was second. I had an attorney tell me, you always want to go second, especially after the, the Wilson case. You know, we we've had several, we've had several cases that have shown that. Yes. Spoiler alert, the second trial was Arch Farrell, the DA. He is found not guilty. Fuller, who is the sheriff, who has the first trial, which, as Kelly's mentioned, we've learned that you always want to go second, apparently. Yeah, I had, yeah, I had an attorney tell me that. Yeah, you always want to go second. It's His a good tri- chance to figure out what the first bunch did wrong. <laughs> exactly. Mm. His trial lasts four weeks, and he is found guilty of first-degree murder, sentenced to life in prison. Main reason being, it was his gun that did they? Did I never killing. knew they found a gun. It was his gun. Yes. Okay, his right. his gun. Again, I never read that far. Then but he I didn't shot know him. They found yes. a gun. It was his gun. He's the sheriff. He well, shot him. Yeah. I, and you know, I guess you know they don't have all the ballistics testing back then that they did now. But probably not. From what I've read, you know, the top moving because he was shot okay. four times from the top of bullets and everything they could pretty much okay. discern that it was the type of gun that Fuller had and, you know, Fuller carried a gun. Yes. As, as a sheriff. deputy sheriff, he had a, he had a, he, he wore, he wore white suits, a big white cowboy hat mm. and guns on both sides was the way he was described. Oh, good and what good men do nothing. And so it went back and forth on, you know, who, you know, different men could shoot the same Sure, gun. I could grab your gun out of your holster and shoot him. And there was some speculation that, that was what happened. Yes. But nobody will ever know. And the guy who he the guy who owned the gun went to jail. Yes, because Farrell was poised to be on that phone call mm-hmm. at the with Garrett at the time. So if he's on a phone call, he's not committing a crime. So so the jury believed. That's what the jury believed. But you know, the story that some of the uh, former reporters from that era that I saw in one of the documentaries said, look, we all know what happened. We know that he placed that phone call, laid the phone down, said, Sigh, hold the line. And it's 200 yards over to uh, Patterson's right, because office. Because he's not on a cell phone. He, yeah. he, he's on a landline. He's on a landline. And, and as long as that line is open, he can go back and say, I was on this phone the whole time. Mm-hmm. And the only person who would ever be able to know that would be if an operator was listening into that call at the time. And it was a busy Saturday night. They actually talked to the operator who helped place that call. And they asked her, did you, you know, we know you're not supposed to, but you can help us solve a mur- murder investigation. And did you hear anything? And she said, no. Scott, you're going to have to give us a history on that on operators. We have a lot of listeners here who are a little oh, bit younger. Yeah. yeah. Tell us about operators in the 50s. Um, well, back then you picked up a phone and you, maybe maybe it wasn't, maybe you had a dial tone then, but you either had a dial tone. I think you had to, you had to hit the receiver or the, you had to wake up the operator. I mean, what happens, you would tap the phone and a light on a switchboard that a person was looking at would flash, and that would tell them, hey, somebody wants to make a phone call at this number. And they would plug in a, a plug, kind of like the ones we use here for our headphones, and connect you, and then they would say in the, to their headphone, who do you want to talk to? Well, I want to talk to BR549, if anybody gets my hee-haw reference. And you can plug that in to BR549, and that call is connected. Mm-hmm. Or like if you watch the uh, Andy Griffith show, it yeah. was Sarah. He'd pick up yeah. the phone and go, Sarah. Sarah, I need to make a make yeah. phone call. Call Aunt B. Yeah, get Aunt B for me. Yeah, and they would connect you. And so they spoke with one of these operators. And she said, I did not listen to the call. I don't know if, it, if there was a conversation taking place or not. And that's probably wise of her just to, especially the people we we're talking about, just patch mm-hmm. it on through and move along, yeah. Sarah. Right. <laughs> I don't know that her name was Sarah, but <laughs> I was just saying that. After Sheriff Albert Fuller is found guilty, he, of course, 
files a motion for a new trial literally a month after he's found guilty. They file like an amendment to this motion. That motion's heard. Motion's overruled. He does not get a new trial. Okay. But he only spends 10 years in prison for that life sentence. We're, we're learning now that life yeah. sentences in the 50s didn't mean the same that yeah, they mean uh, today. Viola Hyatt spent 10 years for two hatchet, uh, uh, hatchet shotgun murders. Mm-hmm. 10 yes. years. 10 years. So he's paroled. And you kill the attorney general of the state of Alabama. 10 years. Yep. 10 years. Yeah, he, so he's paroled and he actually passes away the same year he's paroled. But until his dying days, he claims his innocence, says he's innocent, said he had nothing to do with this murder. Nothing to do with it, huh, Boss Hog? Yeah, right? <laughs> I was going to say that earlier, but who would get a Boss Hog reference these days? Me! Yeah. I got well, it! We're okay. the only two. Yeah. We're the only two. Ke- hey, I know who will get it. Kevin Green, oh, you got Kevin that. Kevin Green would get that reference. You got right? that. Kevin yeah. Green will get that. Totally. Cy Garrett never faced charges. He fought extradition. He was in Texas for a long time, and he fought extradition. John Patterson said in that documentary, I tried for nine years to get Cy Garrett into the state of Alabama so I could charge him with my father's murder, and nothing that none of the legal maneuvers that I tried ever worked. So he hid behind his mental illness yeah. to keep from doing that. And John Patterson goes on to be, he's a hugely popular uh, attorney general. He fought lawn sharks, fought against desegregation. Remember, it's 1954, and everybody's freaking out about Brown versus Board. And he fought a lot of corruption in the Folsom administration, who was the governor who was elected at the same time he was elected attorney general. Uh, And then uh, four years later, John Patterson runs for governor to replace Folsom and does, and he defeats a young George Wallace for governor, the only time George Wallace ever lost a state ri- a statewide race. And he had a, a famous, awful, disgusting comment about how he would make sure he never lost an election like that again. I'm not going to say it on the air. If you want to look it up, you can. But Oh, George Wallace yes, said after he yes, lost. Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, just, that's the way politics were back in the 50s. So mm-hmm. sorry, everybody. Uh, we weren't around. Ugly, ugly history. We were not around there. then. But what a brave man, John yeah. Patterson. That's it's amazing, and and uh, you know I think of him as like Truman. I mean, Truman didn't want to be president when FDR died in, in forty five, and he always said, "I hate this job. I don't want it." And he was kind of forced into the role, and he ended up being a pretty good president. I feel like Patterson was the same way. He didn't want that. He wanted to be a, a trial attorney, and then well, I've got to go. I've got to find the guy who killed my dad, and then he realized, you know, this this governor who before me, Folsom, what a bunch of crooks, and you know. Politics in Alabama was and probably still is crooked these days, allegedly. Uh, <laughs> asterisk. <laughs> but he thought, you know, I can do a better job than these guys. I'm just going to run for governor, and I have the platform to do it. I have the popularity to do it. I, I can run on a, hey, let's clean up. I've cleaned up Phoenix City. Let's clean up the state of Alabama. And he was elected governor. It's just the story. It's just stuff of superheroes. You know, the, the tragic event that happens that mm-hmm. puts them in a situation they really don't want to be in, but find that they're very, they're, that they're made for it. Yeah. This was something he was made to do and then lived 99 years and passed away last, well, 10 days ago mm-hmm. or 12 days ago when depending this podcast on, comes out. Depending on what day you're listening yeah. to this. In yeah, uh, Goldville, Alabama. And by most accounts, a pretty good fellow. World War II veteran on top of that. Wow. Good man, for the most part. And just to, clarif- perfect. Yeah, to clarify a couple of things in the trial that I skipped over was that one of the main reasons that the trial for both of them didn't go exactly the same, was that one of the prosecution's eyewitnesses perjured himself on the stand. Whoops. So that was a big deal. His name was Cecil Pageant, and I didn't find the exact terms of what he I said. I remember seeing his name, but I don't either. I don't remember what he did. But yeah, but... he perjured himself in both trials. So I guess that... What I is guess... he doing? I mean, are they not prepping this guy for the trial? It... His testimony again... I mean, he was... a. For the prosecution testimony, and then right. they brought so, him back. Yeah, maybe it was, maybe he didn't gosh. perjure himself the first time. It was only maybe he said something different the second uh-huh. time from what he said the first time. Didn't we have another case where somebody perjured themselves? Oh, it was the uh, it was the the guy in the Black Widow case. The first time in the first sister's trial, he said, one, oh, "No, that's not Black Widow. You're talking about Doctor Wilson. Are you talking about Doctor Wilson? The sisters? The sisters? Yes. Yes. The, yes. the you know supposedly the uh, Mr. White, James White, who convict who." committed the murder. Yes. He told one story in the first sister's trial, perjured yes. himself in the second trial when he told the story a different way. Maybe it was a similar situation here. I don't know. Possibly. Yeah. Yeah. It, that's kind of, from okay. what I've read, has led to what got fuller paroled and ah. 
Farrell actually, you know, he got reinstated to the state bar after all of this. Oh, I hope. Are you kidding yes, me? Yes, he, and he continued to practice law in Phoenix City. Are you kidding me? No. Well, he, ugh, I wouldn't hire him. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't hire that guy. Uh, yeah. Okay, so I went into this not knowing the story. I can't, I, I'm just going to do it again. Wow. So, oh, drink up. <laughs> drink it up. Yeah. I mean, I've said it several times during this. I am literally sitting on the edge of my chair. I love this story. And I don't love it because it's a tragedy and it's I'm not making light of these are real sure, people and, and they they lived real lives and, and amazing lives. That's why I'm on the edge of my seat. I mean, this is I love this story. Yeah. I love the son stepping up and and cleaning up what his father started. That's what a great story. Well you picked this story out and I'm I'm glad that you did because yeah. I read this book 15 years ago and I'd forgotten a lot of it and I got a chance to read it again and read some more stuff. And I, I really feel like I have a much better understanding of what took place now than I did even when I read it the first time. So thank you for picking this story. And, Man, I did great and, and I didn't even know it. Dropping it in my lap. Killing it, it my every turn. week, Kelly. <laughs> Absolutely, Kelly. You're the best. Thanks. I uh, know. I love it. You're a great storyteller, Scott. And oh, Katie with it. the trial. I'm loving it because I don't understand trials and I don't understand, you know, I'm not a doctor. I'm not that smart. And, or I'm a lawyer. No, I am not a lawyer either. <laughs> You're the closest I, to a lawyer we have in this building. I don't understand. So do this a, is yeah. this was great. Thank you so much. And thank you all for listening this week. Um, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok. Google. Uh, Google us. Do you want us to no, Google? No, I was thinking about Google Podcasts. Oh, so yeah. Okay, okay. You can get us to us on Google, on yes. Google Podcasts. You said follow. That's my fault. Yeah, okay. No, that's fine. I was confused. I was like, okay, Google Apparently us. Apparently, so was I. Sure. Um, at Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, we've had a little rain lately, so use those rainy days to catch up on our episodes or just go back and re-listen. I don't think it's going to rain for another two weeks now. And then wh- I've already forgotten. What did I say put in the comments? By the pool. By the yes, pool. By, by the, the pool. pool in the comments, we'll give you a shout-out in our next episode. And free Or maybe two day. episodes from now, because we may. I think we're actually recording two today, so I won't have time to read. So eventually, <laughs> well, you'll get a shout-out. Okay, so just keep listening. You just have to keep listening. <laughs> Good night, everybody.